Bring our children home. That's long been the call from indigenous communities about child and family services across the country. But the laws in place have been a reason for governments to delay allowing First Nations from addressing the welfare of their children. And with new laws in place, those communities can now begin using their laws and ways to care for kids in the system. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver, and this is Why. Today we give birth to a new horizon, Chief Red Bear Children's Lodge. Today is a historical day because we never gave up our sovereignty to our children. And today, with the Prime Minister of Canada and the Premier of Saskatchewan, we are going to sign a coordination agreement. And what that means is Prime Minister Trudeau stands beside Cowes and invests in us as we heal at our pace. Premier Moe stands beside us as Cowes' First Nation and invests at our pace as we grow. And the end goal is one day there will be no children in care. I'm 39 years old. I hope that happens in my lifetime. But Cowses, we have a lot of work to do. And every day we will roll up our sleeves to make sure that every child, when we call them home, that they know where home is, and that is Cowses, First Nation, and that they will dance, they will get their education, and they will walk with their chin up and be a proud Cowes citizen. The Naskaman, thank you very much. That's Cowes' First Nation Chief Cadmus DeLorme in early July when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau visited the First Nation east of Regina, Saskatchewan, signing supports for, among other things, having Cowes take over child welfare services for its own children. The band office previously verified 165 Cowes kids were currently in government care spread out between Manitoba and British Columbia. But now, care for those children will fall under that First Nation's jurisdiction. It's all part of Bill C-92, also known as the Act Response First Nations, Inuit and Métis children, youth and families. That act was passed in June 2019 and came into effect on the first day of 2020, reversing a 1951 decision. Now, critics of the federal system said it didn't address the overrepresentation of Indigenous children. According to 2016 numbers, more than 52% of children in care were Indigenous, despite accounting for less than 8% of all Canadian children. So was the announcement at Cowesis a historic one? I think it was a great thing for the community because so many times, like we are Indigenous communities, when it comes to child welfare, we're conv- they're confined by the provincial regulations. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, it's not the community that has the final say. It's the provincial director. That's Corin Lightning Earl. I'm a lawyer with Wakodwin Lawn Governance Lodge at the okay. University of Alberta. We're a law and research unit based out of the Faculty of Law and Faculty of Native Studies at the University of Alberta. And so we believe in providing accessible resources to Indigenous communities on law and governance. Um, 
And so, and we work with communities on revitalizing Indigenous laws. Under C-92, First Nations can exercise its jurisdiction over child and family services based on their Indigenous laws, and they can choose whether or not that takes precedent over federal, provincial, or territorial laws. So about that provincial director. The provincial director may never have even set foot in these communities. He doesn't know the kids. He doesn't know the communities. He doesn't know the families. But yet the director is determined to be the person to have the best interest of this child. I don't know. But if you've never met me, how do you know anything about me? <laughs> and so <laughs> and so it's the Indigenous communities who now can, can take that control and they can decide on their own terms with their own knowledge about what's in the best interest so they can do things their way because obviously again you're confined by somebody else's box and you have to move and grow inside that box but if that box only allows you to do so many things then it does limit your ability and so this is a way for indigenous communities to take that back and revitalize their laws because they do have ways of knowing and ways of being in terms of how they take care of how they define what's in the best interest how they define kinship um kinship for me is uh, it's more than just a nuclear family. And we see that Bill C-92 has expanded the idea of kinship to be more than just the mom and dad. It involves the grandparents. It involves aunts and uncles. It acknowledges that caregivers can be something other than mom or dad, or it can be a family friend. And so just even bringing those ideas of kinship totally expands the opportunities that you have to take care of these children. And so it kind of, take, get, kind of gets rid of that box and starts to create something that looks like the communities, that reflects them. People can see themselves in these processes and see their traditions and values. I think it's the most important. The C92 came in, into effect uh, in January 1st in 2020, and it took you know a year and a half for our First Nation actually enacted. Have there been, are you aware that, or is it too much of a stretch to say that there have been conversations since C92 was enacted? Or, or do you think that with Calasis, uh, actually moving on this is if that's, you know, if more First Nations and more Indigenous communities across the country are having more active communications of following those steps. Oh, I, there is lots of, there's been communities on the go since as soon as we heard Bill C-92 is coming into effect. Mm. People, people were having conversations before and now under the legislation, some people are taking that journey to go towards revive, establishing their own legal systems around this. And then there, but there is a lot of, communities ready and unfortunately we had a pandemic so trying to develop law and have community conversation and engagement during a pandemic is difficult because again not everybody has access to zoom mm -hmm. um, I was talking with people before the pandemic in northern Saskatchewan about uh, just some ideas around Bill C-92 but then pandemic hit they don't have good access to internet and they're in quarantine like they were in lockdown and so Indigenous communities, it was just a little, it's, they were hit very hard by COVID. And so, and because we don't have all the same access to resources, it did limit those things. And so even though now we're in Alberta, and it's open, apparently, uh, Indigenous communities are not open. And so mm -hmm. um, they are taking um, efforts to ensure the safety of their community. So it has taken some time. But again, now that people, things are moving forward that I think there's going to be a lot more communities. If you look on the Indigenous Services website, there are a lot that have given notice to enter agreements. There are a lot that have given notice to start their own legislation. Um, so yeah, there is, there is people on the move and it's, I've already had three conversations this morning about 
doing some workshop just with the community just to help them understand Bill C-92 and their options. So Corin, in those conversations you've had, what do Indigenous communities hope to achieve under C-92? The hopes is to bring children home or provide them with services in a way that is meaningful to them. Mm. We shouldn't have children, and yes, there are we, uh, there is cases where children are going to be, have to be in care, but how can we provide services differently? Um, like, can we provide wraparound services? And that's unheard of from the province. What, take care of the whole home? Like provide home services and the whole thing? And yeah, you can do that. You can think holistically and think communally um, rather than just extracting, like really looking at what supports can be provided. And so really being able to provide it in a way that helps people, that speaks to who they are and where they're at. Um, And being able to provide those cultural supports is something that is very meaningful to communities, but also the communities being the decision maker, the communities deciding who their family is, the community is the one at the end of the day that's taking, is doing all the work. And so being able to support them and really empower them to do that and hopefully that will, we won't have children that are in care that don't know who they are. I've frequently met with teens that have aged out and they have no idea where, they, where they're from. And that's, that's hurtful. And that is, it's shameful because why didn't your worker ever find out where you're from or connect you with your community? Mm-hmm. And so it's just about doing that extra work and communities are, they're the experts of their children. They're the experts of their knowledge and their traditions. So let's let the let's let them let's let them do the work and take the lead. So Corin, what did the child welfare system for Indigenous children look like before C ninety two came into effect? Um, well, I can focus on Alberta because it's different with each province because mm-hmm. child welfare is a provincially delegated um, program. So each province is different in how they handle child welfare. And so in Alberta. Um, we have the Minister, Ministry of Child Services, or I can't, they always change their name every time a new government comes in. <laughs> and so they're in, they are there for the, ensure the, the guardian of the children. And so what they currently do is some First Nations do handle their own child welfare. So they have designated First Nations agencies mm. that do take care of the children in care, and they are delegated the authority to do so under Alberta legislation through the provincial director. So he delegates his authority to uh, those indigenous communities. So to a director of themselves, and then they case manage um, and take care of the children under provincial regulations. So they still have to follow the province. Um, And then some communities do not have DFNAs. um, So their children are taken care of by um, whichever region is near them. So like, for example, Stony Plain or Red Deer or any of those other agencies, they would take case manage and take care of the children and care from those communities. For those uh, Canadians who, who um, maybe haven't had a direct uh, interaction with child and family services, at what point would they would that organize would that uh, arm need to, to step in and, and, and address a situation that a child is in? What would what were some what are some common scenarios? Um, normally, the common scenario is finding the family is finding families and connections for communities. Um, so if a child is apprehended, say in Edmonton, that agency would, and this is all hopefully, <laughs> mm. uh, because again, it's all to the, the discretion of the director. Um, they hopefully would contact that child's band designate or that band and hopefully go into some cre- working together to 
create what's in the best interest of the child. Um, but sometimes it's not necessarily happens all of the time. Um, but yes, there is the opportunity for the band designate. Um, there is, uh, um, in the Alberta Act, it does talk about First Nations and their right to um, consent for when it comes to children being adopted, uh, mm -hmm. so private guardianship. Um, but really it does, there is some in parts in there about cultural. And so in Alberta, they have cultural connections plans. And mm. so what an, an agency would do is hopefully contact those indigenous communities to get some sort of relevant cultural connections plan. Um, but that can look like a lot of different things and it doesn't necessarily look as wholesome as sometimes we would like it to look. Tell us more about it not looking as wholesome as ideal. Well, if you look, under, so under Bill C-92, they've come up with these national standards now. And so that is having a connection to your land, to your language, to your community. Um, and so now children can have a connection to their land and to their language. And fortunately, a lot of children in care sometimes don't even know where they're from. They they don't know where their community is from. They have no connection. And, um, and now we're seeing this connection to land. Well, in order to have a connection to land, you have to physically go to that land. And so this kind of pushes social workers to have to work with Indigenous communities to ensure that those connections are provided. Because before it was just about a cultural connection. Now it's gone very specific with these national standards to say, look, it's not just about going to a powwow or going to a round dance. Now it's about having that connection to their land, their language, and continual connection to their family. So the national standards kind of brought in this new baseline, um, which I think some people have been at, but now it does give some itemized points on what needs, what that connection means and what's the best interest of an Indigenous child, acknowledging that the best interest of an Indigenous child is different than the best interest of a child, and acknowledging that they have special rights um, that need to be taken into consideration because they are Indigenous uh, and really trying to do things differently because obviously the current system is not working. I imagine that might present additional challenges to social workers. Does this necessitate building out additional supports to make sure these national standards get met? Well, it's going to be about relationships because how are non-Indigenous social workers going to know about the Indus child's land, their language, their family connections without actually go building a relationship with the community that the child's from so they're going to have to build relationships uh and figuring out what's in the best need because the other thing that came into effect is this placement stamp displacement priority so if children are apprehended they can't just go from home to foster situation or home to group home they have to go from their child parents can't take care of them then what about grandparents what about other kinship? What about other Indigenous family members? What about other people in their community? So it goes through the series of placements. And then at the end is a non-Indigenous placement. But there are four or five other placements that have to be met or at least assessed before they get to that. And so in order to do those types of assessments, how are they? they'll have to build relationships with the community, work with the community to ensure to find those placements rather than just saying, okay, we take this child and we're putting him in group home B. There needs to be those steps taken. And it's actually, it says must be, the words must used is must is used in the legislation. So it's a requirement mm. um, and must they must take efforts to do that. Can you think of examples of how, how, how this is going to be changing Alberta or even other provinces uh, in that, how they handle uh, Indigenous children in care? Well, the national standards really creates that floor for children in care. And some provinces okay, all provinces need to assess where they're at in delivering just national standards. This isn't even getting to the legislation of communities. It's like these national standards are in full effect. 
full rights, they're being heard in courts. And so provinces need to assess, are they meeting all those national standards? And some provinces have said, no, we're meeting them. We don't have no work to do. And then some provinces said, no, we're going to overhaul our legislation and we're going to move forward to make sure we meet these standards and work with Indigenous communities. Mm. Um, and so that I think is, that's a good thing um, because these are legislated requirements that and rights that these children have. Um, and some provinces have said, no, we, we've met, we meet all these standards, which I don't know if necessarily true, but at least it gives that floor so that children all across Canada have these have some form of equity and they have at least they have this space to move move from and so for some provinces it's about thinking outside the box how are they going to meet these and then for some provinces i think they're already well underway to having those conversations in their own cabinet do you see that this uh, do you see this as a step to improving uh the outcomes of children in care not just indigenous but all 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 children who, who are in the, the, the child welfare system. I definitely think it's an opportunity for all children because we can think we can start to see use these indigenous ways um, as best practices. And mm. again, not every child in care is a Caucasian English child. There are other children in care True. that could benefit from these same indigenous practices. And so it could I think that like I'm work at the Quodwin Lodge, we're working with a, uh, a group called The Circle in Victoria, and we're just creating a book on best, best practices, hmm. like so highlighting some of these Indigenous communities that are doing things so that when people say, okay, well, okay, I can't, I don't know how, to, we're so, con and it's no fault of the social workers, but we're, they're in a system where it requires you to think A, B, and C, but sometimes you just can't think beyond that because you're ingrained and you're overworked and you have all these um, things around you. And so this allows you to say, oh, I never thought about that. Like, oh, well, we didn't, we, we, there was a grandma that could take in, there was a program called, we called it the bed program. And so there was, they said, well, we just provide beds. If we go into a home and it's just, they need beds. So we provide them with beds. <laughs> and so it's like, it's simple as that. Oh, well, if we know that one of the kinship providers can take the children, but they just need two, two more rooms to meet the standards, we built two more rooms. <laughs> hmm. um, and if we have a, a young parent program and we can just provide wraparound supports to the parent to support her well, when she's pregnant so that she has the, the supports and the tools for when she has baby, then that's that's something we can do also. So just really thinking about those the different perspectives um, and the the possibilities that that can bring just different programs and sometimes just something we're not used to because it's just something we're not practiced. This is Why is produced by me, Dave McIver, and Adam Toy. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email, thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear, subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wear a mask and get vaccinated. We'll see you soon.